I am Pin. And I am Nuveen. I miss this. Oh no, we haven't recorded a podcast in a really long time. I know, but when this comes out, we're probably going to have like other episodes because we're pretty backed up. We took a pretty, we took about a week break and I think to us, we were like, oh my God, it's been forever. Yeah, yeah, but I hope everyone is doing well. Yes. And um, we'll, we'll be giving you guys content that you guys want. Well, I'm assuming that you want because you keep listening. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, today we have a very, very special guest. I know I say very, very special guest to everyone, but no, this time everyone's it's... a special guest. <laughs> no, yeah, but this time it's like really, 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 really special because. <laughs> Um, we have another me. <laughs> okay. Deluma. Everyone, please welcome Pip Dusky. Welcome, welcome. Dusky. Yes. Hi, you guys. How are you? I'm good. How are you, the other Pip? <laughs> I'm good. So, should we establish which pale is which so we don't keep getting confused? Yes. Um. Uh. So. So, will the real pin please stand up? Oh my god! <laughs> she's so. <laughs> she's still saying it. Will the real pin please stand up? Please stand Nuveen. up. I told Nuveen, I'm like, you're causing beef between me and Pit before I've ever even met her. <laughs> I know. Honestly, is it really beef? I feel like me and you are, like, commiserating. Yeah, no, it's okay. Like, no, we're both her friends, but, like, I'm the real one. I'm the real bitch. <laughs> we have this thing okay. going on where it's like, who's the real pill? Because we're both pills. But, um, yeah, so she's pill. Do- how do we, what do you want to be, What? how do we distinguish ourselves? Hmm. Nuveen, you give us nicknames or something. Oh, my God. No, I already, like, this is already, like, the fact I mean, that two of my friends have the same be causing a lot, uh, like, a toll on he's me. He's enjoying it. <laughs> he's enjoying it. <laughs> I can't do pin one and pin two, because that's, like, terrible. <laughs> Let's keep it this way, then. Let's just stay confused. It's okay. It adds a fun element yeah. to this whole thing. I, I mean, like who's that. which pit is talking? Who knows? Part <laughs> <laughs> of the thrill. So, Pin, um, how are you? Tell us, tell us what you've been up to. How have you been um, doing in this effed up time? So, um, I first started quarantine by working at home, and then your girl got laid off. Woo. But um, actually, it was kind of like a blessing in disguise because I realized that I have been – I'm the kind of person that gives everything to my job. Mm. Um, and so being laid off, I got to take a step back and realize that I'm not doing what I want to do in my life. And I've been really – pushing off my own dreams so I can um, please my family or my culture or 
my community. And so this quarantine, I like made some big decisions and I decided I'm going to do what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And no one can tell me like, oh, that's not a good career choice. Or wouldn't it be better if you did this like that? That's over. So I'm finally living for myself. Um, You're like during quarantine. You're like I've been like, what's up? You're a good example of like when we say like, oh, I hope everyone gets out of this time like better and wiser and smarter and you know and you're like mm-hmm. you're like well, you're, you're doing that's it. what you do you're doing it and also well yeah. it took me a lot while to get there to be honest like the first part of quarantine um I was like really upset not being able to go out and then after I got laid off I was like super depressed mm-hmm. like and when I say depressed I mean like actual clinical depression because I mean I've already had that my whole life and I don't like I, I, I tell people, I know that it's kind of an awkward subject for some Middle Eastern people, but I've had that for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But during quarantine, it became a big problem. Like I got to the point where my room would get like super messy. I wouldn't get up. I wouldn't take a shower mm-hmm. for like a week. I wouldn't talk to my family. Um, and then like I would just sleep a lot. And then um, I had some like revelations. And then for me, as long as I have a schedule, I'm okay. Yeah. So when I lost my schedule, I lost everything. Mm. But now I've made a schedule for myself. And I'm pretty happy. I'm honestly, like, in a really good place. Oh, that's so good to hear, Pil. Um, Pil, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Like, you know, what's your story? Okay, what's my story? I don't feel like, okay, I don't think anybody feels like they have an interesting story. I think but, your story is um, interesting as Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I'm a Guam Kurd. So I was born in Guam in 1996 during Saddam Hussein's regime. So uh, we moved to Connecticut first, and then we moved to New York. So we were Binghamton Kurds for a long time. Um, I don't remember when we came to Nashville, but whenever we got here, I went through middle school, high school, and college here. Okay. Mm. Um. I I guess so my like uh, background is in biology so when I was in college I was a biology major actually I went through a whole bunch of majors and you'll see that like my life is characterized by me changing my mind drastically so when I entered college my first ever major for like for customs day like when I went to orientation was English and like, I knew nobody wanted me to do English, but I still signed up for it. But then during orientation, I changed my major to nursing. And then I was oh, a nursing wow. major for a while. I got into the nursing school at MTSU, but I realized that's not what I wanted to. So I changed to pre-med. And then from pre-med, I took my MCAT, did really well, was applying for med schools. And I was like, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. So I changed my um, career plan to biology. I was going to get a PhD. And then after I graduated college, I moved to Korea for a year. So I was teaching English in Korea. And then when I came back from Korea, I got this job in a corporate office, which is what I have right now. And so I'm a project coordinator and I get paid a lot, but it's like literally the, oh, I don't know if I should say that. I'm going to say, I hate, I hate this kind of job. I don't hate my specific job. I like my coworkers for the most part. I like the location. But this is not my passion at all. And I'm really excited to, like, move on. So Mm -hmm. that's my story. As you can tell, I've not been consistent at all in my life. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that's actually very cool where it's, like, 
see, I'm the type of person where, like, even if I don't really like something, I'll just feel pressured into doing it anyways. Mm-hmm. Just because out of, like, oh, what are my parents parents going to say if I, like, right. do this or that or that? But it's, like, you're just, like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. On to the next. And it's, like, that's very – because I don't think a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of – I think a lot of people also from our community – like, they get scared to even, like, tell their parents they're changing their minds so much. So, like, if mm-hmm. I, and, and I'm, like, someone who does not, like, that does not, like, I don't care. Like, if there's something new and exciting happening in my life or I've, like, come across something new, um, mm-hmm. I, like, am really quick to tell my parents about it. And then my siblings will be, like, oh, my God, why did you tell mom and dad? Like, you're gonna, like, who knows? Like, you're probably gonna change your mind. And you're probably not going to want to be doing this anymore in like a couple of weeks or in a couple of months or whatever. And I'm like, so what? Like, why is there so like, so like, what's so bad about changing, changing your, mind. your mind? Right. Or even talking about it. Like, we have to talk about, you know, and this is like so broad. I'm mm-hmm. not even like talking about anything specific. No, that's true. It's a very like cultural thing. We don't, I mean, I feel like in general, cross-culturally, people are in, they're usually uncomfortable talking to their parents about very big things like that. And Mm -hmm. so if like, for me, I know that I changed my mind a lot, but just like you said, Pid, I go through phases where it's like, when I signed up for my nursing major, I think a semester into it, I was like, Oh, I don't even want to be a nursing major anymore, but I stuck to it for like a year. And then mm-hmm. same thing with pre-med. Like I literally was studying for the MCAT all summer and the entire summer. I was like, I don't want to be a doctor, but I kept studying for it. I took the exam and it's so sad. Like once I got my MCAT scores back and my friends were like, Oh, that's really competitive. You can get into med school. I was like, Oh no, it's like real. Like whenever things got very real for me, I chickened out and I changed my mind. Mm-hmm. And But I feel like the most important part is that I actually changed my mind instead of sticking to it. Cause who knows, like I could be in med school right now, absolutely hating my life. And if I did stick to the med school career, I would be in my third year right now. I have some friends who are there and like, they look very stressed out, but they keep telling me like, oh well, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. But to me, it was never worth it. So I'm happy mm. I changed my mind so many times. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like, it might be great. And it probably is for a lot of people. And even for you too, but it's like at the end of the day, if you're not it doesn't make you happy. Yeah. Who cares? Like, I'm sure. Not for everyone. Yeah. Not a lot of things are for a lot of people. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I feel like everybody figures things out at some point. Like, it's so cliche, but I always tell, like, younger people who ask me for advice, like, you'll figure it out. And no matter what you end up doing with your life, you're going to do a good job. Like, if you decide that, like, I don't want to go to college at all. I just want to graduate high school and do graffiti on the streets and like make murals on walls. I'm like, okay, do it. And you'll find a way to make money and you'll find a way to get by in life. Cause like, if you really want to, you can do it. Exactly. And so it's scary, but it's like, after a certain point, whenever you become successful in what you're doing, you'll be like, okay, well, I don't know what I was so freaked out about. Like for me, I realized that it was a confidence boost to see that I realize that no matter what I do, I'm going to be successful just because I work so hard at things. And mm-hmm. I feel it's a very Kurdish thing, right? Like, you're the child of refugees. You know that everything I do, I have to give my all into it. And so, mm. 
like I couldn't just casually study for the MCAT. I was like, I'm studying for this exam knowing that I have to get as high score as possible. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, my soapbox. That's, that's definitely a, a refugee immigrant mentality to have where it's like, no matter where, like, no matter what you do, you better, no matter what you do, what you, you better be good at to it. Study, you better be mm-hmm. good. You better be one of the best, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that can definitely create a lot of pressure on, on us. Right. right? Yeah. But, but I mean, but I also love having that mentality, man. I love it. It makes me so like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Being I think it motivates me a lot. Yeah. It's like more like a, a being competitive with yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, let's see how good of a score I can get. Right. Mm-hmm. So the problem with that whole mentality comes in when your parents are comparing you to other people, right? Oh, like, I'll have... Well, they'll be like, oh, well, Kichel Nozalche said that she's getting a degree in respiratory therapy. And I'm just like, okay, that's not me. Like, that's not exactly. my passion. Or, but I don't know. Like, I agree that it does give you a lot of pressure. And for our generation, maybe since we're still very, like, in between our roots and our environment. So, like, we still have a lot of Kurdish in us and we still have a lot of American in us that it's kind of like, oh, yeah, look, we're special. We're different. We work hard. And we can compare ourselves to two different families, American family and Kurdish family. But then when you're, I guess, like maybe our kids, like the next generation, it'll be very frustrating for them if they still have that refugee mentality put onto them, but they don't get to see the refugee side of it. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah, because I feel like if I had kids and I was like, you got to you have to work as hard as you can. You can't be average. You have to be above average. They're like, "But why? Like all my friends are average." And then you got to like you have to figure out a way to remind them like, "Oh, well my parents walked this many miles to school every day." And they're like, "Okay, but you didn't do that, you know?" So it yeah. I don't think it'll translate to the next generation. I think a big I think it comes it's not just like us too. Like, you know, there's a big stereotype around like Asians where they're like, "Oh, that Asian parents are so strict with their children and they're also smart Mm -hmm. because they have to like, they're forced to study all the time. And I think it's just that like, there's a big pressure being like, well, I'm in America now. And I like, you feel like you owe someone and like, who's that person? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I think there's just like this idea, like where you owe someone something for being here in a way where that's why you have to try so hard Mm -hmm. to be able to like, I don't like I don't even know where the mentality exactly comes from too. It's just like I think it's a big common thing with like anyone who's not American, like not white in America. Like they just have to try harder mm-hmm. to be able I don't know. Is that a do you guys think that that's like a POC thing where it's like I, I don't know if this is offensive to say, but like white Americans tend to think that they don't have any culture. Which you could disagree and say that they do have culture, but it's just not as pronounced as like ancient cultures, because to be fair, America is only like a few hundred years old. But like I would say American talking loud, eating hot dogs, wearing stars and stripes, right? Watching football. Yeah, like I feel like that's cherry pie, baseball, like, you know, forcing your kids to do sports at a young age. Like that's American culture. But because they don't consider themselves to have their own specific culture. They don't know how anybody who's not white American feels when we say that we have 
expectations of like our ancestors on our back you know Mm. maybe that's what it is like for us we can say okay my my dad left everything to move to america so i have a specific person i feel like i owe something to but maybe some people are like well i don't have like a specific person but i just feel like i have to do well as the first like asian person to do this or the first like woman to do this you know yeah, and I mean, and there's a lot of white Americans who are like the first to go to college in mm-hmm. their family. You know, I think yeah. um, really poor. Um, it's like a class thing as well. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. I think especially with immigrants too, it's like, well, my parents gave up so much to be here to give us us a better life. So now I like owe them mm-hmm. into like doing what they expect of me you know yeah I feel like that's a very valid concern but another part is that maybe um it's I I, look let me caveat this some parents are different than others because I've heard people talk about their parents and I realize that I'm very lucky to have parents who will actually hear me out when I tell them controversial things but It's not necessarily, like, being what your parents want you to be. It's just finding a way to be successful doing what you want to do. And to be fair, for some Mm. people, it's an uphill battle. Like, for you, Nuveen, being a visual artist is a very uphill battle when you're trying to be successful in an industry that there's, like, such a stereotype that it's not really lucrative. Mm. But to be fair, that Mm -hmm. stereotype is based in lies because it is a very lucrative career, and you've proven that with your... Mm -hmm um like all that you do but and then for other people it's like well I want to be a doctor so it's not that hard to be like an impressive doctor because everybody thinks being a doctor is impressive right mm-hmm. right yes hmm. oh. that's a, I think that's like a lot of I don't know this is a good conversation to have because I think a lot of people feel this way mm-hmm. but yeah. it's like I don't think they like really understand why and you know this is also very general like maybe the reason why you like to the audience people who listen who are listening like maybe you just do good in school or try hard because you want to mm-hmm. not because of anyone and that's right right yeah there's definitely that whole thing as well yeah like we're just you know just from our our own experiences and for me I think it's a little different because I grew I don't know did I grow up in Kurdistan I always get confused like when I try to explain this mm-hmm. how old were you when you moved there 13 oh well, you spent your adolescent years there and adult years so I a part of my life I grew up in Kurdistan and so when I went to school there I feel like it was a little different because I didn't have those same pressures where like I had to because like I'm in Kurdistan Mm -hmm. and to me I think it actually was like the opposite effect where it's like well I'm not in America so I don't have to try as hard right Mm, yeah right they kind of expected the bare minimum from us because they're like yeah like oh you don't know Kurdish it's okay you know she's from America yeah just pass yes it was a lot of just like just pass. Just, and we'll be happy. just don't fail. And I think a big thing too is like, you know, like I said, not everyone's families like are the same, but like my family, I had a lot of cousins and um family members who would like fail twelfth grade a few years. Mm-hmm. Like they would stay yeah, in twelfth grade for like a couple of years, or like they would fail other 
grades for a few years and it was like it was a very common thing there where it's like I think if you tell like someone here they'll be like oh my god are they like dumb is that why they keep failing it's like it's definitely not how it sounds mm-hmm. but um school there its system is very very different to in America but um so yeah when I had like a lot of family members who would like fail a lot and like stay in their the same grade mm-hmm. so I think to me it was like well hey I'm passing so like I'm not staying in my same grade and I feel like as long as I didn't stay in my same grade then I was fine and who cares like how big my I mean most of my classes to be honest I had like 50s but to me I'm just like hey I mean I passed it and I hey Um, let's go on a snack break and we'll come back and um, we'll talk some more okay yes Okay, bye. Bye. And we're back from our snack break. Yay. Yummy Mm. snack break. Yum, 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 yum. I drink water. (laughs) I didn't drink gum. I didn't didn't know what it was going to be. I was like, okay, so I just sat here. (laughs) Oh. Um, Yeah, our snack game break is weak today. Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, so Pil, in the beginning of the episode, you um, talked about moving to Korea for a year and teaching English. And oh, I have questions for you. And I think it's like very interesting to talk about too, because it's like, I mean, you are a Kurdish girl and you went alone, I'm assuming, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, how did that happen? Because honestly, maybe I need to talk to you after the podcast because I think that's like something I've been looking into recently. <laughs> oh, for sure. So first off, I can't stress enough how important it is to study abroad, especially if you are a Kurdish woman. If you are a minority woman that comes from a family where the culture is uh, you know, defined by men having more freedoms and rights than women, then it is imperative that you do what you can to get some kind of break like this. So for me, it was a bit extreme because it was a whole year. Mm -hmm. Um, But to be fair, Korea is like an extremely safe country and uh, very low crime rates, very easy place to live. Everybody uh, in the more city-like areas speak very well English or very good English. See, I can't even speak English, but um, (laughs) but so like it wasn't the hardest the South Korea to, to yes yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> <Not it's> a, <laughs> no I wasn't chilling with what is his name Rodman whatever his name is I don't know. that guy with the piercings yeah no I wasn't over there but um so the story was that I wanted to study abroad in Korea for a summer program so there and just take classes that I would already be taking in America but just yeah and so I brought it up to my parents and they were like iffy on it. And then I got this really prestigious scholarship that would have paid for the whole thing. And I was explaining it to my parents again. And it was very, very frustrating. Um, and let me just say first that like, I love my parents and I love my sisters and like all is forgiven now. But that time when I brought it up, they were so uncomfortable with the idea that I felt so hurt watching not only my parents tell me that they didn't want me to go, but my sister is actually being like, why would you want to go? You're like a young, single Kurdish woman. Like people are going to talk about you. They were telling me that, like my own sisters. So that was like a moment where 
I felt like I didn't fit in in my own family because to me, I was completely of the mindset that like, well, obviously I'm a good kid. I've never done anything like illegal. I've never like gone against my parents. I've never hidden things behind their back. And so I was like, I can't believe that I'm being treated like this because, and they kept telling me like, oh no, we trust you, Paid. We don't trust what other people will say about you. And I was oh like, my, my thing is I've actually, in my entire life, I've never given a fuck what somebody said about me in terms of like community saving face. I'm, to clarify, I'm very sensitive. Like <laughs> if people talk shit about me, it makes me sad. But if somebody <laughs> says things like, oh my God, she's not married and she went to Korea for a year. I'm like, okay, if you're sitting there saying stuff like that, like you have so much inner growth that you need to go through. Like I would prefer if you just like never were in my life. People who think like that. Like yeah. I can't believe there's still people who think so backwardly like that, especially after I can understand older people who are like, oh, like that's a little bit shameful. I'm like, okay, you were raised that way. I understand. But people who were like born and raised in America and still say shit like that, I'm just kind of confused where the disconnect is. I don't know like yeah. if these people don't think for themselves. So for me, it was never a problem of like, saving face i was always like i wish that my parents were more concerned about my safety than they were about what other people had to say about me so that summer program didn't work out and then um i applied for an even bigger scholarship it's a very competitive scholarship it's called the fulbright and not many people get it every year and so Mm -hmm. and it's fully funded they pay you when you go there they give you an apartment they give you like a phone uh, plan. So basically they set you up for success and then you just teach English in another country for a year or you do research. And so I applied for it and I didn't think I was going to get it because it was so competitive. But when I did get it, I went home and I didn't tell my parents like, hey, I got this thing. I really want to go because that's what I did the last time. This time I was like, I'm going to go to Korea. So either you guys support me there or cut me off. And I guess we won't talk while I'm in a different country for a year. And it was very bold of me to say that because I have such a good relationship with my family, but they ended up, you know, agreeing. They were like, you know what, like, we should have let you go that summer. They regretted not letting me go. And so it, it ended up working out. Obviously it was really sad for them. Like I heard that, um, the way my mom cried about it after I left from the airport, they said they all drove from the airport to like an ice cream place. And they like, oh, our mom was crying as if like I actually died. Like she was doing the like cozy kind of cries. And I was like, really? Oh, yeah. I was like, are you serious? And they were like, yeah, she couldn't fathom you not being here for a year. But I mean, it all worked out because in the end, like I grew so much as a person when I lived there for a year and um, I became so independent. And when I came back from Korea, like my dad would make jokes sometimes like, wow, I really wish I didn't let you go because now you're like talking back and whatever. <laughs> and it's not like I'm talking back because I always talk back, but I think he was just, <laughs> I think he's taken aback by how level-headed I am when I say things now because no. it's just like, he can't, like somebody in my family can't come up to me and say, like after a wedding, be like, oh my God, that the bride's outfit was so, and I look at them and I'm like, why do you care so much about what the bride is wearing? Like she is having a good time. This is her day. And you're over here trying to make her feel bad about how she looked. And they're like, whoa, where did this attitude come from? But it's just kind of Mm. like, I've gotten to a point where I realize 
that we're living in a bubble. And so when you move to a different country for any amount of time, you realize that there's so much more out there and the things that we worry about in our little uh, Kurdish societal bottle bubble is just so insignificant. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm going on like a rant about it, but I just feel like I grew a lot as a person there. Yeah. And it did numbers on like my mental health. Like I used to be a very, very cynical, negative, sarcastic kind of person. And I just thought that was my personality type. But I realized that I was just unhappy with the way my life was going. I felt like Mm. I'm destined to live in Nashville my whole life, live with near or in my parents' house until I get married and then have kids and then work in a job that I don't want. And so I just always felt negative. I didn't know why. And then I went to Korea and I was like, oh, my God, I have so much potential. I can do whatever I want. Like, at the end of the day, my parents will never cut me off. So, like, I can, I could, like, do whatever I want and then eventually things will work out. And so it gave me, like, a better outlook on life. And now I'm just a little bit more positive, a little bit more bubbly, you know. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Thank you. Um, I think it's also, it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, even like the older you get too, you just become like more level headed Mm -hmm. in general because like, even like with my parents, like me and my dad right at the moment, like we're at such a place where I'll sit down with my dad and we'll talk about like everything that's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Like I'll, at, at night, I'll like go through Twitter and I'll find like tweets um, relating to especially um, at the moment like the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. and the protests and riots and stuff and like all the next morning like we'll just talk about it for like hours and um, I think it's just like you have to build a relationship with your family so like I I know for a fact cause I think the other day like not that long ago I was telling my mom like oh I just want to go to Kurdistan for a year or two and just, like, teach or, like, find a job and, like, you know, we have a house there and I could move in. My mom was like, okay, well, and I just, like, said it very sarcastically. I didn't think that she'd even be open to the idea of it at all because, you know, like, at the end of the day, she is a Kurdish mom. Mm -hmm. And I was just, she was just like, okay, why don't you go then? And I'm like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, I mean, we have a house there. You can just go in, buy yourself, like, a small little, like, fridge and you'll just be set and I'm like oh okay well I didn't know that that was actually like a possibility that you wouldn't like I was expecting like you know sit down you're not gonna go anywhere you know mm-hmm. but no we don't like, okay and I'm like, we don't give our parents yeah. enough credit we think I think it for is, sure yeah and I mean and it's 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 both of our faults where it's like we feel like we're he- yeah. like we are hesitant to even bring up some things but then when we do bring them up they're like oh it's like we build up this like the like this um fear of rejection like oh i can't even this is not even an option i'm not even gonna bring it up but then it's mm-hmm. like no if you just like if you know what you're doing and you're doing it with integrity then like you know there's no way they can say no you know what i mean it's like yeah. our parents aren't fucking like they're not trying to ruin exactly. our lives it's just like yeah and I, I like that point about you have to do it with integrity because it is true. Your parents see right through it when they know your intentions are negative. So if I told my parents like, oh, I'm going to go to Korea and I don't have a scholarship. I'm just going to go figure it out. 
I think they would know like, okay, you're just trying to go to a different country so you can go be crazy for a year and then come back. But like, I was very adamant about like, this is a very prestigious scholarship. If I put this on a resume, I can get into any school I want to. And they're like, okay, okay, fine. Like, and it wasn't that it, it took years and years of me doing this. Like when I was a freshman in college, I would tell my parents like, oh, I want to go study abroad. They have this mission trip to like the Dominican Republic. And they're like, no, you can't. That's too dangerous. And then my sophomore year, I was like, oh, there's this thing where we can go to Germany for like a semester. And my parents like, no, you can't. And then the thing with the Korea during summer thing happened. And my parents like, no, you can't. But then they realized that like every time they told me no, I respected their decision, but they could see that it was like hurting me that I felt so you know, like I wasn't being listened to. And then for the last one, it worked out. Um, and my dad is always like, I mean, you know, I don't know how your parents are. I'm going to put my parents on blast really quick. They're really nice people. But the way that they say no is very like manipulative. Like they will, they will guilt you into like anything. Like my dad's like, okay, well, you can do what you want, sweetie, but it will really, really hurt me if you go to Korea. I'm like, well, fuck. Like, what am I supposed to say to that? I'm like, okay, yeah. dad, like, peace. No, I'm not. Yeah, you're not going to be like, well, fuck you and your family. Yeah. <laughs> like, so this, that's how my dad does anything. He's like, like, or if our family is like, oh, we want to go on a trip together. And I literally never get to go on trips with my family because I'm always studying or working. And so I was like, oh, well, I can't come because I'm working. And then my dad's like, can't you take the day off? I'm like, yeah, but then I have to do this to take the day off. And then he just like stares at me for a second. He's like, well, fine, do whatever you want. We just really wish that you would have come with a family because we wanted to be a family. I'm like, fuck. Like, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. It's like the <laughs> classic Curtis guilt trip. It's like, okay, do whatever you want, but. It, you really you hurt know, me. I don't. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. you're hurting me. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. I think it's also, it depends on the way you, uh, the approach also. It's like. For instance, if I told my mom, like, oh, I want to go to Kurdistan for a year or two, and she would be like, no, I'd be like, well, I'm going to go anyways. I don't care what you say, and your opinions don't matter. And I think that's also be like, oh. But I think if you're just like the approach you go about mm-hmm. it, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. like, at the end, I think um, people should just do what makes them happy. And if like you going, even if like you going to a certain different school, um, really makes you happy and you really want to do it and you know I'm not trying to tell I think this is more like an advice kind of thing for a lot of people who might be going through things or like for instance here and where I live um it's not common for like Kurdish girls to like go to a different school that's like a few hours away Mm -hmm. or to live in dorms and like that's you know we're talking about like studying abroad and going like different countries but like bringing bringing it a little closer to home it's like there's those examples too and I think it just you have to build that trust with your family because like um Nuveen you know how me and my family were years ago like um I had pretty like no I love my parents to death and it's like they were pretty strict growing up um I didn't get to go to a lot of places that I wanted to go and um everything was like I was monitored to be honest I'm not gonna lie um yeah but now I think it's, we're just at a point where, like, I have built a relationship mm-hmm. where it it's possible for me to even bring these things up. And I think a lot of people don't even have that relationship where they can even, like, bring up that conversation to have. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Mm. I Okay, I'm going to throw this into the mix where, like, yeah, it's years. It takes years and years and years of, uh. like, nurturing this relationship with your parents, right? But then there's yeah. some people who can come in and easily be like, you don't owe your parents anything. Get out of that toxic situation. Oh, my God. Um, you don't, you know, your responsibility is just you and yourself. And, you know, I'm sure there's some people who are listening to us right now and are just like, oh my God, these Middle Eastern Muslim girls, like they're so oppressed. Holy shit. Yeah. What do we say? How do we answer? Oh my God. So that is the most white savior complex toxic thing. Like it, and obviously, we saying this, like, doesn't resonate with people who truly feel that way because, I mean, I've met Kurdish people who are so, so whitewashed. And there's, I'm not going to say there's nothing wrong with that, but it's okay if, like, you grew up in a very American white environment. And instead of, I guess, holding on to some of your culture, you completely just like, oh, you know what? I'm a white girl now. Like, I'm going to only hang out with white people i'm gonna go to a predominantly white college yeah i'm gonna join a sorority like that's fine if that's what you want to do and if your parents are happy with that like that's the best of both worlds but for me i don't do things because my parents i don't do things because i'm like scared that my parents are going to disapprove i just like my parents like i physically love them and so if they say like if my parents told me like it would break my heart if you married someone who wasn't Kurdish. But let's say that, like, a few years down the line, I find somebody and I'm like, oh, my God, they're not Kurdish. But, like, I can't imagine my life without them. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it just because my parents. Like, that's one thing, right? That's a big deal. That's a life decision. So I would talk to my parents about it. But then for small things, like, if, you know, I want to go to a football game when I was in high school, my parents are like, no, it's going to be it's going to end at 10 p.m. That's really late. I'll be like, you know what? I wanted to go, but like, I don't want you guys to be upset because I just like you. So I'm just going to not go. Like, yeah. it's not that big of a deal to me, you know? I think a big thing where a lot of people, um, like, for instance, he, this is an example that I've heard, like, in real life. But I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to put it for perspective. Like, for instance, let's say if I go to a therapist mm-hmm. at the mall, right, a white woman therapist and i explain my situation um and oh for this is like a disclaimer there's nothing wrong with therapy i'm all for it too but like this is an example for me going to a white woman therapist for instance Mm -hmm. and i tell them my situation with my family and like how it works like you know how like the the, how our system Mm -hmm. works they would most likely be like and i've had this happen to someone that i know say that's such a toxic environment you need to pull yourself from that you are a 24 year old woman you don't need the approval of your family or friends do whatever you want and if they really truly love you they will conform to your new lifestyle or whatever and it's like to a certain extent yeah but at the end of the day i'm not just going to like tell my parents like right now if i say i'm gonna move out my mom like what do you what do you mean you're gonna move out Mm -hmm. you know and when I explain that to other people, they're like, what do you mean? You're 24 years old. That's so toxic. You can't be in that situation. You have to remove yourself from what's happening. And I think that's like just how 
And I think that's part of what you were, Pid, you were saying at the beginning, where it's like, I think that's part of American culture. Yeah, I, well, American culture is, there's no secret about it. It's extremely in- individualist to a toxic point, in yeah. my opinion. Like, I'm very mm-hmm. vocal about how I don't like the way that America functions. Because if you think about it, let's say that you were an American, white American girl living in Kurdistan. I don't know why, but you're living in Kurdistan. You go to a Kurdish therapist and you say, well, my parents keep telling me I need to move out, but I'm only 18. I don't want to. And they're like, no, that's toxic. Your parents should want you to stay at your house until you get married. Like there's, there's two sides to this. And like (laughs) the people who force their point of view on you are people who are not cultured. That's just my opinion. Like, well, no, that's not, I feel like that's fact. If you're not cultured, you can't fathom things happening outside of what you're used to. And so, like, when, what, what were you saying earlier about, wait, you said something, kid, and I just completely forgot what I was going to say because I got so heated. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, like, the white therapy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like, so Americans are so individualistic that, like, it bothers me. So, like, for example, COVID, like, American people are protesting, yeah. like, oh, we don't want to be inside anymore, even though it means, like, the world will be more healthy if you all just stay inside for a few months you know and then mm-hmm. but then there's like places like like so corona started in china and it really hit korea very very bad like i have friends who still live in korea since my grant year ended and they're telling us like oh yeah we're already back in restaurants and it was like by the time corona got to america korea was already safe because they made they made sure that they had like the the systems in place they're like this is the necessary yeah, yeah. So they're like, if you feel sick at all, take a corona test. Like, I know it's it might be a waste of money, but it's money going to the right thing, right? They're, like, offering totally. face masks in all public places. They have hand sanitizer everywhere. They, uh, People are, like, I don't think they even really did social distancing. The way that they did it was just, like, be very mindful of yourself and other people. And if you feel sick at all, just stay home. And, like, mm. employers would say, if you feel sick, even if it's not Corona, if you stay at home for a week, we'll still pay you for that week. And it worked because Korea got back to everything immediately. Whereas America is so capitalist. And to be honest, like I might get in trouble for saying this, but it's very fascist right now, obviously, because of 45. And so the way that like you have to show symptoms for like four days before you can get a Corona test, like what's the point in that? Like, or like if you don't have corona but you go to get tested they say that the places where they test for corona is where people catch corona like isn't that weird what kind of like (laughs) what kind of upside down dystopia are we living in right now and then people are over here like well my freedom to go to the mall with my family is more important than the entire world like i just so when american people tell me like whoa pal you're 23 years old like why do you still live with your parents? And I'm just like, well, you're 30 years old and you do whatever you want and you don't care how it affects other people. So I don't care about your opinion about me or how I live my life. Mm. Ooh, I think a good example. So I've been binge watching 90 Day Fiance because, I mean, what else am I going to do with my life? But so I'm on season four and there is this uh, very white girl. And I don't mean this as an insult. <laughs> it sounds like an insult these days. <laughs> like, I feel like the way I said it was very insulting. But, like, no, like, she's just, like, the very, like, when you imagine an American girl, you imagine her, yeah. you know? Um, and she's dating this guy from Morocco. And he's Arab. 
and he's Muslim. And so she goes to Morocco um, for a month to be with him and his family Mm -hmm. to, you know, like get become engaged. So she's there and, you know, he like tells her in the beginning, he's like, hey, we're in a Muslim country. And in my culture, when we're outside, you can't kiss me. Don't you can hold oh, my yeah, hand. Oh, yeah, I saw this clip. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you can hold my hand. That's fine. But like, and she keeps trying to kiss him in like the seat, like this middle, you know, the middle of the <laughs> yeah. story. And he like keeps pushing her away. And she like goes on these huge fights. She's like, you don't love me. I hate you. Why are you not showing me love? And she starts like, you know, being so dramatic. And her, his brother-in-law sits down. I don't know if it's his brother or brother-in-law, but he sits down with her and he's like, hey, we love you and all, but did you not know anything about what I'm like? And she's like, I understand your culture. And he, and his biggest issue with her, the fiance, is that you're not respecting my mm-hmm. culture. And she's just like, no, I respect it. I respect it, but I don't like how it is. And so the brother-in-law looks at her and he's like, well, what did you expect? This is our culture and you agreed to it. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's like, if you go to America, when you guys go there, do whatever you want. A kiss on the street, hug on the street. And, like, you know, they're very Muslim family, like, um, and, you know, Morocco is a Muslim mm-hmm. country. So he's like, but when you're here, that's how, it, like, that's how it is. You know, you're wearing the clothes you want we're not saying anything to you that's fine you guys are not even married you're technically in our culture you're not even supposed to be in the same house Mm -hmm. but like we're allowing all of this because we understand your side of things but like you have to understand our side of things and it's like there's like this huge entitlement yeah that i'm getting the vibe from where she's like well i understand your culture but i honestly couldn't care less Like, if I want you to kiss me in public, you have to kiss me. And there's a moment where she, like, hugs him and trying to hug him. And he's kind of, like, he's in front of, like, a decondo. And he's, like, you know, trying to push her away. He's, like, and she's, like, don't push me away when I'm hugging Jeez. (laughs) And I just, like, watch this. And I'm, like, is this how? And I'm sure, like, people might be watching the show and being, like, oh, my God, look at how Morocco is. They're so, like, not, like, they're so old-fashioned and all that and it's like that's not no that's not we're we're not oppressed it's just because we don't see the same way as you so have you heard this um uh, oh my god i just forgot what it was called there's this uh experiment you can do on people more like a kind of like a game but it's a way to show people when they move to different countries that the way that you view things aren't always as they seem so when we were in Korea, they used to do this on cohorts before us, but then they stopped doing it. So basically, I forgot what the name is, but it's some word backwards. So you're going into this place, and they're like, you're in the city of blank, and you just have to watch a demonstration. So basically, all the men are sitting on chairs, and all the women are sitting on the floor. And then all the men uh, have to like do something, and all the women have to sit there and watch. And I forgot, I don't really remember the details, which I shouldn't have brought it up, but it's a very important experiment mm. because they ask people afterwards, like they do an interview, like, so what did you think about this culture of the land of blah, blah, blah? And they're like, oh, it's super oppressive because the men were wearing shoes, the women weren't wearing shoes, the men were sitting on chairs, the women were sitting on the ground. 
the men were told that they could stand up and do this and the women had to crawl all that kind of stuff and then they're like okay well let me tell you about the culture of this place so then because the whole time this guy's reciting something in a foreign language and then in english he's like okay so this is what i was saying earlier in this culture women are the most sacred beings and the only thing more sacred than women is the floor so men are not allowed to touch the floor they're not allowed to sit on the floor they're not even allowed to wear bare feet on the floor so women can wear no shoes they can lay down on the floor they can crawl anywhere but men have to sit on the ground and wear shoes or they have to sit on chairs and so when you, he tells you the story he's like yeah. you see how just from viewing this culture on the outside you were like oh those women are oppressed because you're taking american whatever with you but wow. then ideology yeah and so it's just kind of like a check like and so they told that to us they're like okay now you're in korea you're not going to understand what people are saying to you so if you see something on the street and you're like oh my god this is such an oppressive culture like you don't even mm-hmm. know the history behind it like in middle eastern countries they're like oh my god the girls can't show their hair how oppressive but then to us or, or to like very religious people to muslim people to orthodox jews anybody who wears any kind of head covering they're like we wear head coverings because we're so beautiful we reserve that right to people that we love mm-hmm. and it's like but if you don't hear those words you're like oh my gosh she can't even have her hair out but it's like why is hair so important to you because your culture tells you to do your hair and it'll make you pretty for everybody to see and then other cultures are like no hide your hair because it's so beautiful <laughs> only people who you want to see it should see it it's just like very yeah. frustrating wow the way that we come into a lot things of context needs. yeah needs to be a lot of context and they an interview then the the two people on 90 day fiance and they're like so would you ever convert to being a muslim like and the producer asked her, like, okay, well, he's going to be your husband. Right. You're going to marry him. So this isn't just, like, a fun couple of days where you get to experience a new, like, life. Like, if you can't accept this now. And that's, like, what his biggest issue is. Like, how are you? We're not even married yet. And you, you can't deal with this. So how is it going to be when we're married? Like, I'm going to, I love Morocco. I love my, my culture. I love my religion. And I want to use a lot of those practices in my life with my wife and like my children growing up. Mm -hmm. And so then one of the producers asked her, she's like, would you ever convert to Islam? And she's like, no, I could never be like them. What? Yeah. And it's like, okay, well then why, why do you want to marry one of them? You know, did they ask her that question? One of those white savior complex, like thing that you were talking about. It's one of those things where it's like, no, they didn't ask her that, and I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't, but it's like, why do you feel like you have to, like, save him, yeah. you know? Okay, to be fair, I feel like even on that show, just looking at that couple from the outside and the way that she behaves mm. on camera, like, you can tell she's a woman who um, hasn't been able to get the kind of man that she wants or maybe not get the kind of yep. attention that she wants, so she outsourced her relationship and yeah, I think earlier you were talking about how she kept saying, um, oh, I, I understand your culture, blah, blah, blah. That's one of the most frustrating things I hear when non or I, I was I always say white people, but I need to stop attacking white people, yeah. people who are not of one culture. They always say, oh, no, I understand your culture. And and they keep going. And I'm like, no, stop right there. You don't understand. <laughs> like, it's so easy. Yeah. People be like, 
oh no, I love black people. I'm like, no, stop right there. You don't love black people. You say that sentence and then you have like a caveat after it, right? Yeah. Like always like, oh, I love black people. Like my brother-in-law is black. And I'm just like, that has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of information you know about black history and black struggle. Or just like when somebody says, oh, I know all about Moroccan culture. Like, no, you don't. Like, how much do you know about Moroccan culture? Because if she does know about Moroccan culture, why is she going out of her way to be disrespectful then? Mm. And that's the thing, because she's like, okay, well, didn't you know? And she's like, I didn't even know Morocco was a country until until I came here. So frustrating. And honestly, like, this is a side note just because I really don't mm. like that girl in that show, but I saw the interviews yeah. with him, and, like, you know how on that show, a lot of people, when they first meet the American, they're always like, ew. Like, they'll straight up be like, yeah. oh, not what I expected. He was so respectful. He was like, yeah, when I met her, I thought she was cute, and then when I saw her body, I, I was a little bit shocked that she's a little bit big, but I still like her. Mm. And I was like, yeah. okay, she catfished you, and you didn't even know how big she was, and you're still over here being super respectful. And then she goes to his country, and she's like trying to make out with him in a buzzer. Mm. What is that? Yeah, and they go to the hotel, and she's like, "Okay, well, we have to share a room." And he's like, "It's literally illegal. I can't be in the same room with you." And then she, you know, like she kicks out the camera people, and it's like everyone needs. I think for a big context not even just like because of this episode like this podcast episode but I think in general it's a very big eye-opener to even to me like I'm a Middle Eastern but when I saw that I was like oh um you, I highly recommend people to watch it season four a 90 day fiance I'm almost done with it I can't wait till the like you know the last episode where it's like well where are they now oh yeah I can't wait <laughs> please keep us updated <laughs> Pin. I don't have enough emotional energy to watch that Oh, I have a lot of I have a lot of energy to waste on that. But yeah, um, please don't be disrespectful to other people's cultures, and please don't pretend like you accept it when you really don't. When yeah, where you when you don't understand yeah. it at all, you know. Yeah, but, you know this yeah. stuff about BLM, like um, seeing all these people posting about it. <laughs> I have noticed that a lot of people take liberties to critique allyship. And even though it is important to make sure you're being a good ally, I don't really like it when people are like, um, oh, well, if you do this and just so that people can see you, you're a performative ally and you're useless. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's not the best look, but I feel like we can't, we, be, we become so... Um, what is it like woke cancel culture that it's kind of like oh you posted a blackout tuesday square and nothing else like you're canceled or you Mm -hmm. don't like you haven't helped this movement all and like i agree the blackout tuesday thing was honestly not a great idea it wasn't a good look but i don't know i don't know how i feel about it just like i feel like if you're trying you're trying and that's better than not trying but there's also like a line right there where it's like okay don't act like you know my culture if you don't know my culture yeah but then I, if you make a mistake, yeah. I won't, like, I won't crucify you for making a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I mean, the whole, I think the Blackout Tuesday, uh, <laughs> that's you. Thank you. I think that's Love just you. a perfect example to see, like, of what our culture, like, pop culture and what it has come to. Or, I mean, I think there's been this, like, this has been around for so long of, like, yeah, let's all change 
our profile pictures on Facebook to I in solidarity of this or this or this and this, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, I don't know. Like, it's not really helping, but also it's not really hurting anybody. Right. But, it so, was, um, but in the case of the yeah. Blackout Tuesday, it was kind of, I mean, it was hurting. Oh, you yeah. Know, where it's like blocking out information. Um, See, I had the opposite experience with that, where it's like, I didn't post it. Um, I post a picture of that uh, like a blackout Tuesday on my Instagram and it's because I that day I woke up and I my first thing that I do during the day is go on Twitter and I saw like that's like don't do this it's like harming actually you're hiding the like the things that's going on and I like read I'm like okay well I'm not going to do that then and then but then I saw so many people who were doing it and I was kind of like oh crap well are people now gonna think that I don't care and that's why I didn't post so throughout the entire day I'm like should I post it should I not post it should I post it should I not post it I'm like well the only reason why I would be posting it is because of other people for what they think of me and then but and deep down in my heart I know that this would be doing more harm than good and I don't want to be a part Mm -hmm. of that too so I think it's like also vice versa it's like so, if we, I think we live in a world now where it's like if we don't prove, like I feel like we have this sense of like yeah. we have to prove something to other people, and if we don't, then we're not on the same yeah. side or we're not doing, and which is like you know, there's so many people who people call out on like, well, this celebrity didn't post anything, so that means they uh. must hate black people, and. It's like at the end of the day, maybe they've been donating, but they don't have to prove it. Yeah. Right. And I, okay, so yeah. something that I, me and Marlos have been talking a lot about lately is just this whole idea of like what happened to doing good deeds and not like telling the whole world about it? Like, I don't know. I personally grew up right. raised mm-hmm. by like if you do something good for someone, you're not supposed to brag about it. And I get it like on social media. Yeah. Like, I get it. Like, I guess it can like definitely encourage more people like oh well she did it then i should do it too and then you know it might like create like a mm-hmm. um like a chain or reaction or whatever um but i don't know i think that like you know i'm a yeah like i'm a huge believer of like if you have a some sort of platform that you yeah. should be using it for good but i think like especially for like donations where it's like a celebrity would put not even a celebrity honestly just like even people in general though like but i think for instance people like to um target celebrities a lot because they're in the public eye where they if they post a picture of the like what's going on and they claim their support but then people like oh well you didn't donate anything so that doesn't help where it's like okay like for instance i'm gonna use i know people get annoyed but like okay i'm gonna use bts for as an example BTS donated a million dollars recently to the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, like, that's so much money. Wow, they're like Korean artists in Korea and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, I was happy. And then a lot of people were like, oh, look, they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're only doing it for like, look, why did they tell people that they donated a million dollars? They're just doing it so they can get more fans. And then apparently, like, it. They BTS never said they donated, but the place they donated to, they said that BTS don't gave us a million dollars. And so and like BTS never said it at all. And people are like, wow, like if this um, organization never even said it, people would have never known. 
that they well, there was no so way BTS like, could have won maybe. in that situation, right? Because if they said that they did yeah. it, people would be like, "Why are you saying it?" If they didn't say that they did it, people would be like, "Why aren't you doing anything?" Yeah, and then like then there was like this thing where armies where um the fans they said that like we're gonna match a million dollars, and in two days their fan base raised a million dollars. So BTS and the fans um donated like they raised two million dollars for the movement and then people are like and people are even finding problems with that they're like well no they're just they're not doing it for the right reasons they're doing it for publicity it's like at the end of the day two million dollars is a lot of money and it's going to something that will Wait, help so so just to back up is this like k-pop stands who are finding problems with it I, th- I think a lot of um, locals, American locals are finding. And then, you know, there's obviously, like, the fan wars. So, like, other fans of other groups are finding, like, issues with it. But I think a lot of locals are, like, well, they're from Korea. So, they don't even care at all. They're just doing this. And it's, like... Yeah. You can't. You, really, you really can't. And so, even when it gets onto the smaller level, when it's, like the people I follow on Instagram, each person I follow probably has like no more than 500 followers. And so if they're over mm-hmm. here, you know, posting a picture of Blackout Tuesday and nothing on their story, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and call every single one of you out. I'm not going to hold ill feelings towards you. I'm not going to remember this for like years. Um, but I did have a Kurdish yeah. girl completely lose her mind when I did point out that she wasn't being a supportive ally. I said it very respectfully though, mm-hmm. but she got super mad at me and then I had to block her because she was like literally attacking me. What? But um yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a story, you guys. I got screenshots. I'll send them to you. No, I'm just kidding. I'll send them to you, but I'll block oh, her now because I'm not trying to make beef. <laughs> wow. But that really yeah. took me aback because mm-hmm. you know how Curtis people keep posting this like, thank you, Curtis Stan, for standing with Black Lives Matter thing. And I'm like it's nice because Kurdish people are doing a lot for Black Lives Matter but we have a lot of internalized racism within us anyways I mean like do you guys remember that Twitter beef a few months ago I don't remember when it was when some Kurdish girl was like oh my gosh I really like hate ghetto rash people and she said rash because she knows if she said black she would get completely murdered on Twitter so she said rash and then people were like, mm-hmm. why did you say rush and not black? And then she got really defensive and then she had people standing up for her like, you know what she meant. But it's like, if a, if an American person said, yeah. I hate ghetto black people, black. you're like, that's the worst thing you could have said. And she's like, well, I hate ghetto rush people. Oh, you know what I meant. Yeah, you meant racism, you know? <laughs> yeah. So Kurdish people are just like, there's there's two camps, like we're all social justice warriors like we have had to fight for our rights for our entire existence but then there's this whole like oppression olympics where people are like okay well thank god i'm not black so they just like hate black people because black people have it worse Mm. than them like white people tell you okay so the best kind of foreign person is uh asian they're model minorities and then indian they're model minorities and then middle eastern people somewhere then mexican latino and then black and so we're like oh my god so we just make fun of black and mexican people because on this ladder somebody white told me that i was better than them wow that's a great way to word it um and i think 
a lot of people needed to hear that. Sorry, it's just spitting fire over here. Somebody stop me. We've been talking for so yeah. long. <laughs> no, it's fine. I think a lot of people needed to hear that. It's because I think there is a lot of um, looking down upon, um, especially, and yeah, you're right. It's like not other minorities. It's more like Mexican or Latinos and yeah. black. And then also just color in general, right? And it's like, like colorism black. exists in our community. Like, when Rosti, my brother, was born, everybody lost their mind. They're like, oh, my God, Hinspia, Chinjana. And I'm like, okay. And then, yeah. like, Rosti has friends. Like, he has this one friend. I'm not going to say his name. But everybody always made fun of him for being so dark. They call him Rashu. Yeah. And then they're always like, oh, look at mm. Rosti and Rashu. It's like, Spia, Rash, Spia, Rash. I'm like, excuse yourself. Yeah, it's, and like my it. my aunt and uncle still call me Kitka Spee. Wow. So I'm just like, okay, cool. And then I got really tan one summer and I posted a picture on Snapchat. My aunt was like, oh my God, why did you do this to yourself? I was like, I didn't do it on purpose. Like, what's wrong? <laughs> or like when you wear your the, your right foundation <laughs> shade. Like, because I'm, I'm on the tanner side. So when I go to Curtison and I like, I have my exact foundation shade. My cousin's like, oh my God, that's too dark for you. I'm like, it's not. It's literally my exact foundation shade. It matches me perfectly. And they're like, yeah, but do S yeah. I'm like, yeah, because I am an S match. Yeah. Like, what, do you, what do you think that is? Like, are they afraid that we're getting closer to black people who they internally hate? Or is it the thing where it's like, oh, if you're out working on the fields, you're poor. So if you have tan skin, you're poor. Like, I don't know how that works. Yeah, I think it has a lot like to farm- do with that too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like farmers tan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, you but, said it's yeah, internally um, hate them. I think a lot of these Kurdish people who live in Kurdistan have never met a black person. So I think it's oh, just yeah. out of fear. Like I had a um I worked when I went to when I lived in Kurdistan back in 2016 and I was working, my coworker um was from Jamaica and she um was telling me how like yeah, you know, the students are a little at first, like, the first two weeks, they were a little, like, shy and intimidated by me. But, you know, now they're they're good. And she was like, I don't take it personally because I'm probably, she's like, from what I've, from what I've, um, she's like, they've probably seen people like me on TV, you know? They've never met anyone mm-hmm. like me in person. So there's a lot of that mm-hmm. that I think um, that we're dealing with in Kurdistan itself. But then when we talk about the whole, like, yeah, um, you know, lighter, fairer skin, just more pretty. And I mean, that's in a lot of different, like all over the world. Uh, especially yeah. in Asia. And even within black communities. Yeah. Um, and then I asked my art history, my art history professor in undergrad, why? I was like, why do you think like all over the world and all these different places, why that's like, she's like, who who went and conquered most places in the world, Nuveen? And I was like, white people? She's like, exactly. So you'd have these white people going into these countries and, you know, with all their whatever. and uh, With their ideas, their ideas, stealing things, and then they had claiming power. Their they own. had power. And they, just yeah. all, they would associate, you know, white with power, with beauty, with, you know, power with beauty. And it's mm-hmm. So this is a big reason why I, yeah. I, my soapbox is Jay-Z. Like, as weird as it is, 
anytime I'm around somebody and they make a joke like, yeah, and like, I mean, like, look at Jay-Z. He got somebody as beautiful as Beyonce. And I'm like, what world do you live in where a wide nose and big lips are that fucking ugly to you? It's because white people told you that European features are beautiful. So you see somebody as Jay-Z, tall, attractive, fit, super successful. And you're like, why would somebody like Beyonce go for him? I'm like, what are you talking about? Is it because his skin is dark? Is it because his lips are big? Or is it because his nose is wide? I don't understand it because there's nothing wrong with him except for his nose and lips, according to these people. But then these are the same people who will, like, pump up their lips. Mm -hmm. Like, African noses are not in style yet. I feel like they will be at some point because everything African is stolen eventually. But, like, okay, so, like, the European nose is a thing. So, I don't know. Like, I I don't let people talk about Jay-Z around me. I don't even give a fuck about Jay-Z. I don't even listen to his music. But I'm just, like, it pisses me off because (laughs) Beyonce is, like, this light-skinned girl with this skinny nose and big, light-colored eyes. And she has blonde hair. Like, yeah, she's very beautiful. But also, she's very light. She's very, like, European. And I'm going to get in so much trouble with beehive people for saying this. No, it's true. But, like, She's a beautiful black woman, but she's also a beautiful black woman that has a lot of European features. And that's why she's so beautiful to some people. In my opinion. <laughs> in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I we love, love her. Beyonce. I actually do listen to her music. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Pid, you have some poetry <laughs> that you do. Want to briefly talk about that a little bit? Her, yeah, your podcast. so I've been writing poetry since I was in high school. Um, and I had like that typical beautiful story where I had a high school English teacher. Her name was Miss Singer. She's at John Overton High School in Nashville. I don't think she works there anymore, maybe somewhere else in Nashville. But she uh, pushed me to join this poetry recitation competition called Poetry Out Loud. And the first year I did it, I didn't get that far. The second year I did it, I got a little bit further. And then the last year I did it, I like won my high school competition. And then I went to the state competition and I got like top 10. And they were all like, oh, you're an amazing poet. And like, you're really good at reciting poetry. And then it just kind of was something that I've done my whole life. But it wasn't until quarantine and like getting laid off from a job that I didn't even like that I realized there's only one thing in the world that I've liked my whole life and that's poetry. And so um, now I'm pursuing poetry more. I want to get into a grad school, study poetry as an academic, and then just like write for the rest of my life. So um, if you guys go to my Instagram, I'm going to go ahead and plug my Instagram. Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So my Instagram. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So my Instagram yep. is at wavedosky, W-A-V-E-D-O-S-K-I, because obviously pay means wave. And so, <laughs> I know that. so my Instagram is at wavedosky, and on there, it's it used to be my personal Instagram, but now it's mostly a place where I post my poetry. And so with my poetry, I'll usually like draw a little picture. Lately, I haven't been drawing, but they're all like, I always credit the artist, but um. So that's where I post a lot of my poetry. And I'm going to start a podcast soon. By the time this episode comes out, I will have my uh, podcast started. And I hope you guys will support it there too. So it's called Helbes Uhizir. So Helbes is H-E-L. Oh my God, L. H-E-L-B-E-S-T-U, which is U, Hizir, H-I-Z-I-R. But the acronym is HUH. And so (laughs) it's a 
place where all oh, and so has yeah. his in means poetry and thoughts and so it's a place where we talk about poetry and our thoughts regarding them it's a little bit more structured than this new wave podcast thing which like I wish it could be as funny and interesting as this podcast but it really won't be it's gonna be like all about no it's gonna be better <laughs> yeah I knew you were gonna say that no like literally it's gonna be the opposite it's gonna be um a place where we'll have like a poet of the week uh, I want to have some guests on there so we can talk about like modern societal problems and then we'll find poetry that matches it. And um, there'll be a lot of poetry reciting on there. Lovely. So, yeah. And I have an Instagram for that one too. It's at his, but that's also on my main Instagram. I have it in my bio. We're going to link everything in the description and everyone needs to go follow if yeah, if you don't, then you don't. <laughs> we'll be very angry. <laughs> no, thank you so much. Hey, this is your yeah, sister yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh so, God. okay, I'll come back on your podcast every now and then. It'll just be like, oh, hi, just popping in to see yes. to read a poem. Yeah, like definitely. That. This is not going to be the last time. Um, I really feel like we're like creating just a huge, big, like, family on this podcast where it's like, every you know we want yeah. to have like our guests like our guests to come back um and become regulars you know so yeah yeah well little known fact for your audience you're gonna edit this out i was supposed to be the first guest on this podcast but that's okay we won't talk about it actually me and newbie were, recorded a I, podcast two years ago and I nobody know. knows about it isn't that crazy no it, it's okay yeah, I was telling Nubin this the other day. I was like, she was, it's so funny how she was supposed to be the first like, one. What number now? Am I? <laughs> I have no idea. No, but actually, seasons. it's better that Nubin <laughs> and my podcast didn't kick off because it was so serious. Oh Do you gosh. remember that? We were. Wait, who was it's someone? Do I still have it? I need to listen to it. it. It was the it was like a week before I moved to Korea, and you just I came over to your house, and we were just talking about Korea. That's crazy! I gotta, crazy I gotta find thing. that. I gotta find that. Wow. Don't don't post it again. We'll just leave that in, in the void. Just send it to me. Just send it to me. I'll listen to it, and then uh, to our audience, I'll just find the funny parts, and I'll. Oh my god! Well, good luck because it, it wasn't funny. <laughs> Okay. Well, yes, everyone definitely needs to not just check it out, but also support our fellow Pid. Um, we love Pid. This is Pid spelled P-E-L. Yeah, yeah, I'm P-A-E-L. This was lovely. But, we honestly, like, yeah, there's so um, many more things we can get into, but hey, next time you're on, we'll, we'll, we'll dive a little deeper. We'll, like, pick a topic and just dive, like, really deep into it the whole time yeah this is fun though i yes. like this i like that we can talk about whatever we want and just like i feel like i'm just talking to you guys i forgot we were recording exactly. yes exactly um that's how our podcasts are we talk about whatever we like you guys are killing it i support you, you so much oh thank you thank you well, definitely support you when you come out with your podcast and your poetry. And yeah, stay safe. Uh, Wash your hands. Stay wear safe. Support, support Black Lives Matter. Person. 
support Black Lives Matter. Don't be a bad human being. Be good. Thank you, everyone. Um, and yeah, until next I'm time, mean. I am Pen. That is also Bye. my name. Bye. 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 Bye.